Tandem Talk is a quarterly financial podcast sharing history, insight, and market commentary from Tandem's investment team. This podcast was created to give our clients and partners an opportunity to eavesdrop on the team's conversations. It gives the listener a way to hear from our team, understand our thought process and investment philosophy, and get to know a little bit more about us. Since we can't have you all in our office, we thought we would take our office to the listener and give you a seat at the table. We hope you enjoy listening as much as we do creating Tandem Talk. We invite you to join the conversation. Ask us a question by emailing us at information at tandemadvisors.com or suggest a topic for us to cover on our next episode. And now we turn you over to Tandem's investment team of John Carew, Billy Little, Ben Carew, and Jordan Watson. You're listening to Tandem Talk. We're back. Welcome to Tandem Talk Season 3, Episode 13. I'm John Carew, as always. I'm joined by Billy Little. Hello, everyone. Ben Carew. Hey, how's it going? And Jordan Watson. Hey, how's everyone doing? So let's jump right into it, boys. Um, Last time, if memory serves, we were in the middle of two markets. I think we described it at one point as the S&P 7 and the S&P 493. Where are we now? Since that time, the market has broadened out a little bit. I think since June 1st, the S&P 500 is up 5%. If you look at the equal weight, it's up closer to 6%. So that is not radically different, but it's a huge change from where we were, where going into June... January 1st to June 1st or January 1st to May 31st, the S&P was up closer to 15% at that point, and the equal weight was flat. So there has been some broadening out uh, underneath the surface, which has been, which has been great to see. You know, year to date, we're still, the markets are still, still trucking. The S&P is up 16%, NASDAQ's up 35%, Russell 2000's up 8%. So it's we're we're still moving. What I found interesting, I was, I forget if I was writing about this in observations or on a client call. When you look, still when you look at underneath the surface, when you're looking at within the eleven sectors, six of them are down or flat for the year. Two of them, materials and industrials, are up five and nine percent respectively. And then you look at information technology. Uh, was it computer? Uh, communication services, yeah. and consumer discretionary, which is really Amazon and Tesla. Yeah. Those are up anywhere between 30 and 45%. Yeah, and the communication Amazon services one is. Commu- no, no, no. They're consumer commu- they're, discretionary. They're com- consumer, consumer discretionary. Communications being meta and Google, basically. Correct. But when you, look, when you look at energy, consumer staples, healthcare, financials, utility, and real, and real estate, they're all flat or down for the year. So is the... AI, as in artificial intelligence, not Allen Iverson, uh, <laughs> theme still driving the day. You seen that growth trade uh, unwind? Just I don't know if it's unwinding or if it's just taking a little bit of a breather. But you've seen some of those things come back down to earth. I think uh, Tesla and Nvidia both had decent pullbacks from their recent highs. Not that Tesla is necessarily necessarily AI, but definitely growth related. Billy, one thing that we were talking about the other day. Um, what was driving all of 2022 was yields in the dollar, right? I mean, mm-hmm. if yields were up, the dollar was up and growth was down, right? And generally that meant 
markets down too. Um, but what we've sort of seen, and, and that's just fell by the wayside for the most of this year, right? I mean, yields were either flat or even rising in parts of this year, and the NASDAQ just didn't care. Um, but it seems like in the past few weeks, really since sort of mid-July, you saw interest rates rise, you saw tips start to rise, you saw mm-hmm. the dollar start to rise, you saw the VIX start to rise. Uh, and what did you see in equity markets? That's when you start to see uh, the NASDAQ roll over a little bit more, some of that growth trade unwind. Uh, and so maybe that market regime that we were in for 2022 is sort of back a little bit. Fair enough. Um, Billy, the last time you had touched, and Jordan, you reminded me of this, you had, you had discussed uh, market expectations versus Fed expectations. I'm going to ask Jordan to comment on this because you had some interesting thoughts on that. And Billy, feel, obviously, feel free to chime in. But, <laughs> yeah. but Jordan, you want, you want to lead with that? Yeah, absolutely. So when we filmed or recorded the podcast. Well, let, let's be honest here. We are actually being filmed today. <laughs> we have made the big time. The good folks from Vive Media are here f- filming, not, not audio, but just video. And I guess this will appear at some point magically on our website. Um, so stay tuned for that. But slip of the tongue yeah. but when, when we, we were recorded last right back in may when we recorded the pod markets were pricing in cuts at the end of the year and billy you pointed out that there was a wide divergence between market expectations and what the fed had been on record saying repeatedly um and we've seen the market in the fed expectations i would say that divergence narrow a bit mm-hmm. I think now markets are pricing in cuts in the second quarter of next year. Um, So they've certainly shifted back. And and you pointed out that's because markets have just gone up, right? (laughs) Uh, So I think the take then was spot on. And and we've seen that divergence narrow. um, It's interesting to hear Fed speak in the coming weeks Mm -hmm. and with Jackson Jackson Hole on deck, too. Because even up into July, the Fed was still noticeably more hawkish than the market's expectations were. Mm-hmm. And so I, I agree with you 100% that it has narrowed, but there's still a little bit of a d- divergence, or was, between yeah. what the Fed was saying and what the market has been pricing Absolutely. in. So it'll be interesting to see if there's a little bit a hawkish, through. but they've been consistent yeah, all dot. along. I mean, yeah. they've been saying the same thing for a year now. Yeah. Right? That I they're going to keep doing this until inflation is no longer here, and even when it's not here, they're going to... Keep on doing it mm-hmm. to make sure it does not come back. And I actually think the dot plot still shows one height, one quarter point hike left, mm-hmm. right? So you've got the Fed's dot plot just a couple of months old showing one hike left in the market saying no more hikes, actually a cut in seven months. Yeah. 2024. Is- yeah, that has gotten pushed back some. But that sort of lines up with uh, sort of broader broader macro thinking that a lot of people have out there right now where you saw it in the u.s debt downgrades recently and then the downgrades of all those banks where people are talking about uh recession end of the year start of next year but even there still seems to be a divergence there i saw the uh b of a fund manager survey just Mm -hmm. came out and i think three quarters of respondents said soft landing or no landing i guess soft landing still has the ability for a light recession but so can we expand on that i'd love to hear everybody's thoughts because this is the most predicted recession (laughs) i think i've ever experienced it's not here yet 
Um, it used to be the debate was hard landing versus soft landing. Can the mm-hmm. can the Fed orchestrate this in such a way that that we just have a very mild recession? Now I hear people talking about no landing at all because there's mm-hmm. no recession in sight. So where where are we on all this? And does it even matter? I think the jobs market has held up far better than what most economists and analysts thought. I mean, we were talking around this desk. 12 months ago about all of the tech layoffs that were occurring. And you didn't really see it show up in any of the jobs. No, numbers. it didn't I mean, seem to matter. You would, you would think jobless claims would begin to rise. I mean, you were seeing headline after headline about job cuts from these large companies, and they haven't really shown up. Um, so the resiliency of the jobs market has, has really held the economy together. That and the consumer's ability to just continue to spend. Well, on, they're starting to call that into question a little bit. I mean, we spent through excess savings and all of those things. Right. But this market really reminds me of what we were all talking about in 2015 and 20. I, I just, before you move on and talk about 2015, 2016, you said it's starting to show up in excess savings. Yes. Where do we stand as, what what, what does the consumer look like? Where, what is our savings rate today? Uh, relative that's a good to, question. Relative to history, not relative to where it was when I don't, everybody was getting COVID money, but. Billy Jordan, hop in if you, if you guys know where the savings rate is right now. I do not. Well, I just I should know never that ask the, a question. I don't know the answer to. <laughs> I apologize. I just know that the Fed put out a paper. I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month or two ago, that was talking basically about how uh, we had built up this excess savings as a, I mean, as a country through COVID and through all of the programs that came out during COVID, and I think that that has now been spent. Whereas I, I think that other countries haven't necessarily spent through their excess COVID savings, but the U.S. has. So and now you have student debt payments coming back online as well. And so there's gas prices up eight percent in the past month, up twenty five percent since the beginning of the year. Yeah. Commodities and, are actually starting to and and let's not forget, yes, inflation is coming down. Wait. It's coming down at inflation its, isn't coming down. The rate of acceleration is coming down, right? Yeah, you just you just stole exactly what I was okay. about to say. Sorry, 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 sorry. That <laughs> what he said. What he said. But yes, the the rate of price increases is coming down. They're still going up. And the levels that we saw pre-COVID were not likely to go back to those levels. So you're yeah. still going to be at elevated price levels. You're just not increasing as, at a fast rate. You know, I'm reminded of a tandem talk we did um, probably in the depths of COVID. And uh, the example we gave for price increases was um, Chipotle Mm -hmm. uh, and how devastating that was going to be to Jordan. (laughs) Um, And that's that's the thing about these price increases, right? They're sticky. Mm -hmm. They may not be going up as fast, but they're not coming down, right? Right. These price increases are here to stay with us at least for the foreseeable future, right? Chipotle hadn't backed off, have they, Jordan? Uh, no, still no. expensive, right? Yeah, I actually think they're coming with another round of, of price increases, too. So. I notice we haven't had many Chips Chipotle and deliveries are crazy these days. <laughs> Is there a guac shortage somewhere? <laughs> I don't know. Avocado Supply shortage. chain I hope issue, not. right? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Ben, I cut you off. You were going to tell us how this reminds you of 2015, 2016. Would you... Do you still hold that train of thought, and can you go back there? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I mean, Jordan, you were saying that we seem to have been avoiding a recession so far because of the labor market, right? Right. And in 2015, 2016, you had, we were in the middle of an earnings recession, right? So earnings were actually contracting in the S&P 500. I believe we were in 
what I would call a manufacturing recession at the time where ISM was contracting. So the manufacturing mm-hmm. sector of the economy was contracting. Um, but we actually never entered a recession because the labor market remained strong and services remained strong. And that's sort of the same thing that we have right now as our own economic backdrop. But at the same time in 2015, 2016, there was constant chatter around what the Fed was going to do. At the time, uh, the first Fed hike was on the table coming out. I think that was the first hike that they had coming out of the financial crisis all the way in 2015. Uh, The slowdown in China was what started the sell-off in 2015, right? In August of... Uh, devaluation. Yeah, mm-hmm. but it, it was it was around a lot fears of a slowdown in China. What do we have this morning? Surprise yeah. rate cut out of uh, China, right? Sort of pointing towards that same slowdown. So there really are a lot of similarities. Valuation, not cheap, just like in 2015. We're now, what, 18 to 20 months from an all-time high. I think at the time, we were maybe 13, 14 months without all-time highs in 2015, 2016. But then what sparked that market, which is not on the horizon now, at least to my knowledge, was tax cuts. Mm. I mean, we made an all-time high in the summer of 2016, but the market still wasn't really running anywhere until the tax cuts talk started in late 2016 and early 2017. And then earnings really ramped up from there. Yeah, and then 2017 was just off to the races, right? Yeah. So I have a question because you mentioned earnings recession, and forgive me if I'm having a senior moment and we've already discussed this, just tell me to move on. But what do uh, corporate earnings look like um, now, and what is the market anticipating? For Q2, which is being reported now, Roughly 90% of companies have reported earnings are down 5% um, across the S&P 500. Q3... Down 5% year over year. Down 5% year over year. Q3 estimates are basically flat. Q4, I believe it's up 7, 7.5%. And then looking out calendar year 2024, you're at around 11% growth. Yeah, so the earnings picture is one that is troughing, which is why, I mean, some have been talking about earnings, though it has been though it has been bad, right, with a negative 5% mm-hmm. year-over-year growth. It is troughing, and that's actually was considered a tailwind right. for the market. Now, whether or not that actually materializes, we'll see. But that's been considered a tailwind more recently, not a, not a headwind. Correct. Fair enough. Um, <clears throat> you mentioned a correlation earlier about between um, interest rates and the dollar. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about interest rates for a minute. Uh, ben, I think you deserve credit. Um, in the last episode of Tandem Talk, you pointed out that there would be an incredible supply of treasuries on the market because we were up hard up against the, the debt ceiling, right? Mm-hmm. And so there was no issuance. Mm-hmm. So follow up on that. Start a conversation about interest rates and and debt issuance. Yeah, y'all hop in anywhere on this. Um, but yeah, you've seen a lot of debt being issued by the Treasury over the past few weeks, which is which has put an upward pressure on yields. Right, simple supply and demand. Supply is increasing, um, and so what are you seeing in yields? You're seeing yields rise in response, um, and unlike what we were seeing in 2021, late 2021, when you saw yields start to rise at that time, it doesn't seem to be uh, inflation-driven, 
right? It seems to be just truly yields on the rise rather than inflation expectations. Yeah, I mean, for the most part, inflation expectations are coming down. I mean, you had a hotter PPI number mm-hmm. a week ago. Yeah. And there's some talk about some base effects rolling off and then energy, again, picking back up. True. Um, so maybe it is the market reading into that, but it, it's hard to say what's really driving the increase in yields because it's all on the back end. Right. Everything on the front end is still one year to one month to one year out has been 5.3 to 5.5% for six months, three months. It's, yeah. it's been the same. And but on the back end, it's where the 10 years up 100 basis points since May. I guess I was just, I, what I kind of meant by that was you're seeing the 10 year and you're seeing t- tips move similarly right now, right? So it seems to sort of be in conjunction with one another rather than any sort of decoupling between the two. Yeah, we touched on the increase in supply in terms of treasury issuance after the debt ceiling was resolved. But you also have the largest buyer of treasuries that has stepped away from that market, right? So not only are you seeing a massive increase in supply, I think treasury is going to issue a trillion dollars in debt this quarter. Yippee. And you have the largest buyer being the Federal Reserve, who's no longer rolling maturities, right? They're rolling securities off their balance sheet. So record supply issuance and the largest buyer in town has stepped away from the table. I think that is helping prop yields up as well. So you just said two things I want to touch on, and I hope I can remember the second one after I go through the first one. But the first one is I find it interesting uh, that with interest rates, with nominal yields where they are today, people are intrigued. People are saying, I'll take a, what, what's the 10-year? 4%-ish? 4.3. So in normal times, I find it hard to believe that somebody would say, yeah, I'll accept a 4.3% return for the next 10 years. But we've been so yield-starved for over a decade that this seems like manna from heaven for people who want to own Fixed income, right? Mm-hmm. Yet real yields are still negative, are they not? They've mm-hmm. come back up. They're actually the highest they've been since mm-hmm. October of last year, I believe. Yeah. When they got up to, I think, 1.25, one and a quarter, something, yeah, something yeah, along those lines. But what's the rate of inflation? Like 1.2. Seriously, what is the rate of inflation what now? Was the five? Last one close to four, three, three nine. Three nine? Yeah. Okay, so you are getting a positive return on the t- for for the listener out there who doesn't know what we mean by real yield versus nominal. Nominal is the stated interest rate that you get, and real is the stated interest rate minus inflation. And if inflation is greater than the interest rate, you're actually losing money. But there was a time when interest rates did begin to pop that people just piled in to interest rate bearing instruments that didn't exceed the rate of inflation. No. We're no well, longer in that world. You've had that trade for 30 years. So <laughs> True. I mean, it's been working every single time for 30 years. I wasn't paying attention. That, I apologize. That has just been on a, on a downturn. Yields have been every time they've gone up. The best thing to do would have been to buy the long bond at, the, at that point. Now the question is, has it turned? Is it is it going against you? Are they just... Is the trend up now? Is Has the, trend, the pendulum swung is the trend in, in the up? other that's, direction? That's the big question. Um, who kn- I mean, who knows? But it, it is hard to think that 
interest rates could go vastly higher in a world that we have so much debt. Because yeah. part of the whole downgrade also, of yeah. uh, the U.S. government mm. debt was interest rate payments, right? Yeah, we're about to pass a trillion dollars Yeah, a I mean, year in debt service payments. In interest interest rate payments have absolutely... have to borrow to pay that back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have absolutely ballooned in the past couple of years. In the last few... I mean, the last time the 10-year was over 4%, I believe it ticked over it for a couple of days back in March, and that's when you had the bank crisis, right? You've got yeah. yields over 4% now. We touched on how loans on... or bonds on banks' balance sheets were worth less back in May. Two words. Two worth words. Worth less. Well, they're certainly <laughs> worth less today than they were just a couple of weeks ago, right? right? So you're getting that pressure. And yet we seem to have moved on from the banking it crisis. Does, it's starting to pop up again yeah. with downgrades. Some downgrades. There was some, and there was some weakness in banks the last couple of days, trading-wise. Yeah, okay. it really did start, it seemed like, with that downgrade. But the downgrade more seemed like an inevitability than anything else, right? I mean, we all knew the issues. They were talking about uh, profitability being impacted. Well, yeah, <laughs> they're paying out a lot more on deposits now, so it makes sense. But, Bill, you were saying that you can't really see yields going too much higher, but I also feel like that it would take something really breaking, for lack of a better word, for you to see yields go too much lower either. I mean, I, it doesn't seem the rhetoric out of the Fed, listening to the rhetoric out of the Fed, it doesn't seem like they really want yields to go back down. So I would, it sort of seems like they're here to stay unless something bad, for lack of a better word, sort of happened, right? Something that we don't want to happen happens. That would take mm -hmm. yields lower, where all of a sudden the Fed is stepping back in and trying to prop up the financial system or whatever you want to call it. But so it really does seem like, to your point and to what the Fed has been trying to do, that they're more likely to just sort of stay here. Yeah, what they've been saying all along. So a little bit earlier, Jordan referenced uh, the largest buyer of treasuries being the Fed stepping away because they're allowing assets to roll off their balance sheet. They're fed, the Fed is shrinking its balance sheet, right? right. So in 2018, that didn't go so well. Um, doesn't seem to be creating nearly as much volatility right now. But recently, Ben and I uh, we're working on a presentation. We were trying to build a slide around M2, which to the listener out there is, is how the Federal Reserve tracks money supply. And M2 throughout history has steadily risen until 2020 when it just took a steep acceleration in its rate of growth. And now its rate of growth is slowing. And Ben, one of the things I asked you to try to find was how markets behave when M2 contracts. And your answer was, there's no data for that because never, it never has. Yeah, it's, I think data going back to the 50s, M2 has never contracted. Until now. Uh, yeah. Right. Now, the counter argument that one could make to that is, well, yeah, maybe it's contracting. But I think there's still $4 trillion more in M2 today than there was, was pre-COVID. So I think it's... I think it just sort of depends how you look at that. Is there still a ton of liquidity in the system, or does the system sort of uh, reset, right, to where the – does it matter what we're doing relative to last year or where we were relative to three years ago? Because that would answer the question, does this matter, right? I mean, I don't 
Well, then my follow-on right. question to that is, so back in the day, we used to look to fixed income markets for clues because that's where the smart people traded. Um, and the equity market was made up of dummies like us. <laughs> um, but then with the financial crisis, you know, there was a, a thumb on the scale, right? The central banks all over the world were dramatically affecting fixed income markets. And so there's been a debate. I don't know if it's been resolved about whether the fixed income markets really are able to tell us anything with so much uh, central bank participation or, or thumb on the scaling of things. So is the fixed income market telling us something that the equity market hasn't figured out yet or not? I don't know. They were both saying the same thing last year, weren't they? <laughs> they were saying the same <laughs> yeah. thing last year. That's right. They both moved in the same direction, yeah. down. And a little bit this year, too. I mean, they've been – that's sort of what we were talking about earlier with the driver again. Yields last year were pretty correlated with the market. Yields up, market down throughout 2022. Mm-hmm. Any rally throughout 2022, any of those bear market rallies was uh, – any of those bear market rallies were seen with yields falling through 2022. Didn't matter for the first half this year, but again, the last couple of weeks, yields up, markets down. So mm-hmm. is that correlation back? I don't know. So there's a lot going on for the average investor to, to take account of. We've got, um, I don't know, valuations seem pretty dear to me. We've got uh, interest rates at recent highs. Um, we've got a, a Fed that seems committed to, to keeping it there. We've got a slowing China. Um, Jordan, do you want to say what you were going to say about China? Sure. When, when China sneezes, the world gets a cold. <laughs> Wasn't sure. Not COVID, just Not a cold. COVID. Yeah. Um, so we've got the situation in China where um, they really are slowing. Mm. Um, so We've also, though, with China, we have uh, lessened the importance of that relationship over yeah. the past couple of years, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the, this administration and the previous administration both seem to actually be on the same page about that. They certainly are bringing things I think closer to home, right? We, yeah. yeah. Discussed that one of the podcasts many times ago was the whole idea of deglobalization right is bringing the supply chain closer to home mm-hmm. and you are seeing you are seeing that but that's that's something that happens over yeah. years and, and it's not years. just bringing it closer to home right it's also diversifying your sourcing mm-hmm. right it, oh yeah you can't just have it all in, in one, one place. place right and what's the symptom of that whenever you reduce a low input cost to cost labor, are gonna go higher right it's So where I was trying to go with my litany of things to worry about is, look, none of this affects how we manage portfolios. We said that ad nauseum, but look, we're we're company-specific. Companies have to grow through any economic environment, including this one. Okay, there's our disclaimer. But for conversational purposes, um, you guys... All three of you have had remarkable track records in this podcast of sort of talking about where we are and and what 
we might reasonably expect going forward. So I'm not asking anybody to make any predictions. I'm just saying, what is the thing or what are the things that should matter to investors as opposed to what might just be noise we don't need to worry about? Wow, I stumped you. (laughs) It's a tough question because we've been talking about the same stuff. For well, that's fine. It can be year, the same stuff. It doesn't year, have to be something different. A year different. and a half, two years now. Um, you know, whatever's going to, there's clearly we've identified a lot of risks in the market, right? Whether we equity markets tip over or not, who, who knows? Um, if they were, whatever that catalyst is, it's not going to be something we just discussed. Never right. is. It's something out of left field, but the risks are there. Something like SVB, it just didn't matter, right? But that would have been the perfect example of Yeah, it's something yeah. that just kind of comes out of left field. It's what happens every single time. Risks are high going into it. You don't see what's coming. You just mass sell. Um, and so I don't, I don't know what... Do we perceive risks to be high now? I think risks are relatively high. I think valuations are, are relatively stretched... They're stretched more at the headline market because at the headline market, uh, when looking at the the market um, from of kind of the top names. down because of the big names. Yeah, I mentioned SP it. Seven. Um, in observations. The SP seven is dear, has stretched but valuations. Yeah, they have stretched valuations. So I think I mentioned it in observations last time. Is when you actually looked at kind of if you looked at our names, right, and you looked at the other four hundred ninety three names, they're not crazy overvalued. They're not cheap. They're probably closer to fair value to slightly overvalued, whereas the market looks overvalued. Right. Right. But underneath, you're actually not crazy, crazy overvalued. The risk, I do think, still lies in those top seven holdings, which if they go, the market could go. But that doesn't mean the other 493 stocks have to go. Right. Right. Yeah. It's a valid point. You said sort of what's on our mind. I'd come back to what... Billy, you were saying three years ago, I think in August of 20, we were talking about what does COVID look like? What does the effects of this look like? And at the time, you were sort of talking about uh, these rolling waves of economic growth and contraction. And that's sort of what we're seeing, right? I mean, the numbers that you just said talking about earnings growth were negative now for, what, two Mm -hmm. or three quarters? There's your contracting wave. You said by Q4, we're supposed to be up 7% on earnings growth and 11% next year. Now, those estimates normally come down, right? But there's your contraction. And to me, I, th- I think that we're just going to continue. I would expect us to continue to go through that period, Billy, that you highlighted three years ago. Yeah, and we and we, you're seeing it now with manufacturing being in a recession. All, the, all of those numbers are contracting. What companies are saying, expediters basically saying capacity is way up. Demand <laughs> is being is just crazy, right? way down. Yeah. Um, so they can't even, the capacity is there to put whatever you want on a boat or on a plane, but no one's doing it. Not, no one has anything to ship. Mm-hmm. And then you heard Home Depot today, they basically said transactions are lower. But the good news is their inventories are coming way down. So they're destocking. So it fits in line with everything that's happened. Eventually, mm-hmm. we're going to go through a trough, and you're going to have to start making more stuff to put back on the shelves. You know, that was actually one of the fears that I've seen around no landing. Everybody would think no landing, no recession, that's good news, right? But the fear around no landing is that you're not actually going to stop inflation. Is that if there's no recession, 
yeah, we might go through this little painful slowdown, not even painful, just uncomfortable slowdown. But hey, no recession. Let's keep spending, right? And then all of a sudden you have recession, which is sort of the same thing mm-hmm. that you were just saying. Home Depot taking down their inventory. Well, what's going to happen if we don't enter a recession? All of a sudden they're going to be behind on inventory. Right. <laughs> Everybody's there's going to be huge <laughs> yeah. demand again, right? And you just, you just keep going this through this cycle, cycle um, where it seems like it all came back to when everything got thrown out of whack during mm-hmm. COVID. Mm-hmm. So just to sort of wrap this up and bring it all home. Um, it seems to me that no matter what we want to blame or credit, um, we've gone through an incredible period for people that hold assets um, because we are awash in liquidity and asset price inflation uh, remains pretty healthy. And so do we need to go through a liquidity contraction to ever return to a more normal, whatever that looks like, investment environment? Um, Or do we just stay awash in liquidity forever and the business cycle as we once knew it no longer exists? I would say this time is is never different. (laughs) You've been taught well, son. (laughs) So I would it's think never different. Market this time, forces eventually, right? eventually went out, right? Market forces yeah. always have, always will win. But can they be prolonged by Fed intervention, by the amount of liquidity that's still in the system, even though M two is contracting? Probably, right? Um, but that doesn't mean that it goes away forever. What, who was it, Janet Yellen, that said a couple of years ago that that she thought that we'd seen like the last recession in her lifetime or yeah. something like that. Yeah. That's a good enough indicator for me that we'll probably see one. <laughs> just that when, sounds, go ahead. Just when things start to get normal again, the Fed will put their hand on the scale when the economy turns down and then liquidity will be pumped in, right? We saw that after the GFC long expansion. So then, are you in favor of Janet Yellen's oh, assessment? No, no, no. No, okay. not at all. Not at all. I do I just, think, though, that Fed rhetoric, I, I feel like they've tried to say that that's not their intention going forward. Right. That that coming out of the financial crisis, they took uh, financial markets to a place that they don't want to return to. Right. And I feel like they have, now whether or not they actually do that, I mean, they can talk the talk, but are they going to walk the walk? We'll see. But I feel like they have at least said that that's not really what they want to get back to. They don't want to prop up financial markets forever. They've sort of had to over time because of what was done during the financial crisis. Mm -hmm. But it does seem like the intention is to take that away. And that's sort of, John, you mentioned when the market didn't like it in 2018. That's sort of what that whole bit was about, right? Jay Powell was trying to return to normal in the market through a tantrum, and we're down 20% in Q4. Uh, But it seems like they're trying to sort of slow walk Mm -hmm. some of that accommodation Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what he says next week. I think yeah. next week at Jackson Hole. Yeah. Because last year at Jackson Hole, he was the one who said basically consumers will have to go through a period right. of real hurt, of real pain, until you could basically say inflation is conquered and right and, and rates will normalize. Like was, that's that was the that? that was the baseline. I don't think so. He yeah, was quoting Volcker. I mean, he was really yeah. hawkish at that meeting. Yeah. So we'll see. There's been speculation of debate around increasing the neutral rate for Fed funds being speculated about by the Fed at this meeting. I mean, we'll see. 
that would, you know, is the neutral rate 2%? Is it higher than that, 25 3%? I mean, we'll see. We talked earlier about all of the upward pressure on inflation, about onshoring and, and whatnot. So it'll be interesting to see what he has to say. Well, unless anybody has any final thoughts, seems like a good place to wrap it up. You agree, boys? Agreed. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, listener, thanks for joining us again for episode 13 of Tandem Talk. We hope you had as much fun listening as we did bringing it to you. Um, I would like to thank my partners here at the roundtable, Billy Little, Ben Carew, Jordan Watson. I'm John Carew. We are produced uh, audio and sound by Lindsay Collins, who is also our audio and sound engineer from LMC Sound System. Thank you, Lindsay. Great job as always. Uh, I'd like to thank our producer and director, Elaine Natoli, who's also the creator of Tandem Talk. I'd like to thank our co-producer, Julia Hoffman, and the good folks at Vive Media who have been videoing all of this with bright lights in my eyes. I don't know about the rest of y'all. Um, I would like to remind you that you can find Tandem Talk just about anywhere you consume podcasts. It's available on our website. It's available on our site at SoundCloud. It's available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Enjoy. Until the next time, this has been Tandem Talk. Tandem Talk is hosted by Tandem's investment team of John Carew, Billy Little, Ben Carew, and Jordan Watson. Tandem Talk is co-produced by Elaine Natoli, Julia Hoffman, and Lindsay Collins with LMC Sound System. Tandem Investment Advisors Incorporated is an SEC registered investment advisor. This podcast is for informational purposes only and shall not constitute or be considered financial, tax, or investment advice, or an offer to sell, or a solicitation of an offer to buy any product, service, or security. Tandem Investment Advisors Incorporated does not represent that the securities, products, or services discussed on this podcast are suitable for any particular investor. Indices are unmanaged and not available for direct investment. Please consult your financial advisor before making any investment decisions. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All past portfolio purchases and sales are available upon request. All performance figures, data points, charts, and graphs contained in this report are derived from publicly available sources believed to be reliable. Tandem makes no representation as to the accuracy of these numbers, nor should they be construed as any representation of past or future performance.